Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Welcome back to the Get Naked with Dr. Kate podcast, everyone. I am Dr. Kate Balistrieri, founder of Modern Intimacy, a certified sex therapist and licensed psychologist. And today on the podcast, I am so thrilled to have with me Dr. Nazanin Moali. Dr. Nazanin Moali is an internationally recognized psychologist, educator, and podcaster certified by ASECT. Located in the South Bay, she runs a private practice where she specializes in assisting clients with eating disorders and sexual health challenges. Additionally, Dr. Mowali hosts the popular podcast, Sexology, where she dives into captivating findings in the realm of sex and intimacy and psychology. Dr. Nassanin, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I've been following your work for years and I'm very excited to be here. Oh, likewise. I have such a, a fangirl crush on, on you and your work, and I'm thrilled that we're, we're doing this today. Um, I'm especially thrilled because I know one of the areas of focus that you talk a lot about is the relationship between body image and desire. And we have a question today from a woman, and it's, it's a question that I hear in different iterations quite a bit. I'm sure you do too. And, and she writes in and says, I am a 32-year-old woman and I struggle with loving my body. My partner thinks I look great, but I always feel uncomfortable during sex. And it is so bad that I often don't want to even be sexual because it reminds me of how uncomfortable I am in my body. What should I do? Can I ever love myself? Well, yeah. how wonderful that she reached out and shared that experience with you. I know it's a privilege to hear people's stories. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, it is such a common challenge that especially in cisgender women, I see a lot of it, that our bodies changes, evolve, and our society often have this narrow definition of what sexy is. And when our body is not fitting within that window, we feel defective, not worthy of uh, desire or sex. So of course, that's something that the listener can cultivate. That's absolutely something, but it's a journey that would be important to be mindful of, uh, mindful of that. And it's important to think about what gets in the way of her loving her body, right? There mm -hmm. are, when we're thinking about uh, body image, there's so many different components to it. One is the societal influences, things that we perceive being sexy, things we see on Instagram, or even the explicit content that we're consuming. Thinking about people have, they, they need to have a certain type of body to work the pleasure and excitement. That's, that could be part of it. The other part could be that the internal critical voice that shows up that we often hear with our uh, clients who struggle with self-image, eating disorders. And I'm sure you see this a lot, like if we have a history of trauma, uh, that can translate to uh, disorder eating behavior. So um, there's so many things that we can focus on. The first step is kind of thinking about what gets in the way. 
Where can somebody start to even begin exploring that in your opinion? How, how do they know if it's, if their negative relationship with body and, and body image is related to trauma or if it's related to societal influences or perhaps even, uh, experiences with previous partners who have been critical of their bodies? You know, how, how do they parse that out? Well, I think that that's definitely something that requires some investigation. My invitation for people is to write about their critical voice. What does your critical part says? And when you're writing it, noting it, thinking about where where is this coming from? Where did I learn that? As you mentioned, that sometimes we have uh, a negative experience with our partners. Like our partner said something like 20 years ago and stayed now it's part of us. Or we noticed that maybe we had some uh, experiences with trauma and we started overeating or undereating and that related to how, we, uh, how we're connecting with our body. So first step is recognizing the stories that shows up. Where is that coming from? And the other part is that what have you tried and what haven't you tried? And from the things you tried, what was useful for you? Because Mm -hmm. I know in our society, we get this uh, notion of your perfect, quote unquote, perfect body is one peel away or like one diet away. And it is this misinformation that keeps people feeling that they are defective if they're not reaching certain body. But it's really helpful to kind of like explore if you have been yo-yo dieting for years and hasn't changed your self-image, what else can we try? I love that, I love that. It's, I think one of the, the trickiest things for me around helping folks move through these stuck points is there, there is that inner critical voice. And then there's also this, and you just spoke to this, but there's an idea that there's only one right way to look, right? And in reality, human beings are so diverse. And that includes the things that people find attractive. And there are a bunch of people who will say things like, yes, beauty standards, these are the things I know I'm supposed to like, but what really turns me on is X, Y, Z. And I think sometimes we get stuck in the pitfalls of not only thinking about how we quote unquote should look, but what we quote unquote should like. And the reality is just pretty different from that. You brought up such a wonderful point, uh, Dr. Kate, that our uh, erotic template is very diverse. Mm -hmm. Our interests are very diverse. And we have different for lack of a better word, brand of sexiness, right? Like what what I gravitate to as far as like a female that would be sexy as far as like their presentation uh, would be different than someone else that would be interested in, uh, kind of like uh, see that as um, attractive. So I think it's really important to kind of like note what are quote unquote our brand of sexiness and uh, how can we change our visual diet? to be Mm -hmm. able to get exposed with more of those imaging, right? Because I think all of our social media accounts with all of the sponsor ads, we're constantly get bombarded with certain kind of body. And realistically, that might not be achievable, even based on genetic factors for each person. So I think it's really helpful for people to focus on their thoughts and feelings related to their body versus on how it's supposed to look like. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk a little bit about self-perception and how how can people start to 
challenge the overly critical parts of their self-perception and really work on building a practice of more body neutrality, even if body positivity feels like a far reach? First step, one of the things we talked about is kind of like noting your self-critical voice, even mm-hmm. outside the bedroom, because I think sometimes in the bedroom that can be overwhelming, but kind of writing it down. And instead of judging it, saying that uh, this, I'm, I'm so critical of myself, I'm defective, I'm not good enough, thinking about, okay, so this is a thought that shows up. We constantly have different types of thoughts every minute. It doesn't say if I'm thinking I'm defective or I'm thinking I'm fat, it doesn't mean like I'm in any of those things. So mm-hmm. kind of like creating some space between yourself and your thought, uh, kind of even journaling, saying, I notice I have a thought that says I have a big thighs, whatever it is. So creating distance that you know you're not your thoughts, very, very powerful. And I think training our mind to kind of practice mindfulness, Um, like again, going outside the bedroom, being able to tune in into the moment and kind of like paying attention to your senses, because when those critical voices shows up, for example, during sex, you can in a way separate yourself from the thoughts and there are different visualization techniques for that. Some people like to put the thought on the leaf and letting it go down the stream. Some people kind of like thinking about it as a movie on the screen. I invite people to explore different versions of that and see what would be uh, what would be easier for them. It's definitely a practice. I invite people to do maybe five minutes of what we call cognitive diffusion so they get really good at it and combined with some mindfulness ex- experiences. Mindfulness could be even mindful eating, like mindfully eating a chocolate. That helps you during sexual experiences, when you're with a partner, when the thought shows up for you to be able to note what's happening at the moment, thinking about what am I smelling, what am I tasting, and that often helps with people to experience more pleasure and get some distance from the critical voice. I find that that's a a really smart go-to strategy for in the moment intimacy when somebody's having that that intrusive thought of what does my body look like right now or oh no my partner can see this mm-hmm. part of my body that i believe to be imperfect in some way um it's a it's a great opportunity to start getting engaged in uh a sensory awareness right what does it feel like to feel your your partner's skin touching your skin separate from the thoughts what does what does it smell like to be intimate together what are you tasting in your partner's kiss or on their skin and can you really focus on a sensory experience of the moment instead of what's going on in your mind because that that noise is an old adaptive strategy but it's definitely not doing anyone favors in the moment Anymore. Absolutely. And I think with that, kind of coming to this experience with non-judgment, like, for example, mm-hmm. uh, maybe like our partner touching us or we're smelling things in the room as part of sensory awareness and we're feeling neutral as far as pleasure and that mm-hmm. state of mind or we're trying to pay attention to sensation and we feel numbness. And that's okay. It's the data point that we have to kind of explore more or, or we can explore more if we want to. What's the relationship in in your mind or in the research that you've explored around uh, someone who might be experiencing a negative body image and their ability to experience sensation? Well, uh, there there are very interesting studies in in this area, and 
when we're thinking about uh, body uh, eating disorder, body dissatisfaction, it, it is a spectrum. So we have people like, for example, if they are doing um, restriction a lot, that's really impact their desire level. Though, so, like it's a physiological part. It feels like when you're in a uh, when you are in a, a starvation mode, it's harder to experience arousal, and the less arousal you feel, it would be harder to. Uh, kind of note the pleasurable sensation and all of that. And for some people that they might not have a uh, eating disorder, but they have body dissatisfaction, uh, it can show up as them making themselves small, like they're not mm-hmm. initiating sex, they're not uh, being adventurous, or they're not meeting their uh, full erotic potential. And anyone's erotic, people's erotic potential is different. But because this voice tells you you're not good enough, you're, you're, you, you only can have great sex if you have a certain kind of body, then it gets in the way of your relation, relationship with pleasure and how you show up in the bedroom. I love what you just said. And, and I, I want to emphasize that. I think a lot of people have an unconscious belief that they have to earn pleasure and be worthy of pleasure. But pleasure is an innate human right, right? Not sex with another person. That's not an innate human right, but pleasure and the ability to feel good. That is something that is accessible to all of us. And we don't need to earn it through uh, the gymnastics of feeling worthy in our mind or the contortion of creating uh, a visual representation of our body if if our body is not looking the way we expect it might or feeling the way we might want it to. And, and I think that that's where a lot of folks get really stuck, right? They have this idea that pleasure is only something that people who look like X or have achieved Y can can really lean into. Absolutely. Even if we're zooming out, as you said, with kind of like all type of pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about different food being guilty pleasure, or we have to earn the right, we have to exercise, earn the right to have fun food. And that kind of shows that how, as a society, we had a complex relationship with pleasure. Uh, as you said, it's part of human experience. And that's what makes our lives so rich to lean into pleasure with food, pleasure with sensation, sensuality, uh, sexuality, if that's something you're interested in. So I think our relationship with pleasure can be very complex, as you've mentioned. It is. Addie. Ladies, did you know that one of the most common complaints from women about their sexual health is a frustrating low libido? Our sex drives can decline, but it's also treatable. Addy, or Flibanserin, is FDA-approved and has been clinically proven to increase sexual desire in certain premenopausal women who are bothered by a low libido. So if you feel like you've lost your desire and you want to get it back, stop falling for the snake oils and ask your doctor about Addy today, or go to Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Addy is for premenopausal women with acquired generalized hypoactive sexual desire disorder, HSDD, who have not had problems with low sexual desire in the past, who have low sexual desire no matter the type of sexual activity, the situation, or the sexual partner. The low sexual desire is troubling to them and is not due to a medical or mental health problem, problems in the relationship, or medicine or other drug use.
Addy is not for use in men or to enhance sexual performance. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is increased if you drink one to two standard alcoholic drinks close in time to your Addy dose. Wait at least two hours after drinking before taking Addy at bedtime. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is also increased if you take certain prescriptions, over-the-counter or herbal medications, or have liver problems. Low blood pressure and fainting can happen when you take Addy even if you don't drink alcohol or take other medicines. Do not take if you are allergic to any of the ingredients in Addy. Allergic reactions may include hives, itching or trouble breathing. Sleepiness, sometimes serious, can occur. Common side effects include dizziness, nausea, tiredness, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep and dry mouth. See full PI and medication guide, including box warning at addy.com forward slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Go to addy.com and use code GETNAKED for a $10 telemedicine appointment to find out if Addy is right for you. Well, how can partners best support somebody who's struggling with a negative body image? I mean, I often will hear from partners, they'll say things like, my partner's so hot. My partner looks amazing. I think they're beautiful. I don't care about stretch marks or I don't care about cellulite, but my partner gets so stuck in that. And, and then I'll hear from the other person and they're like, stop saying that. I know you're just saying it to make me feel better, right? But it's not landing. And I think there's a real um, difficulty sometimes that comes with wanting to be supportive and also wanting support, but not knowing quite how to um, provide that in a way that it lands. As you mentioned, it is such a common challenge for many couples that yeah. like one partner is avoiding sex. They just don't want to be engaging in any sexual experiences because of how they feel about their bodies. For example, I see a lot of uh, challenges for new moms that they feel they're no longer they're comfortable in their postpartum body. I think as far as the uh, partner, they need to know that change, uh, change the, uh, the only person can uh, is able of, uh, able to make a change is their partner, right? So I think mm-hmm. we have no control over uh, removing someone's emotion. All we can do is to bring relational safety, right? We can mm-hmm. talk to our partner is that I've noticed this is a challenge and I experience you being attractive. How can I support you with this? Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to kind of like tell them they're attractive, that's not resonating with them or forcing them to do things or pushing them to go to the gym or because what I've noticed is sometimes people come from a good place, partners, mm-hmm. like, the part, like their partner saying that I don't like this about my body and they say, okay, I can pay for surgery or I can help you uh, get a trainer. And those can be wonderful suggestions if that's something that the first partner wants. Like if they want right. a solution, that you, you're welcome to share those solutions. But oftentimes when people talk about this, they want to feel heard. And it's more, it's more about how we can cultivate the safety in our relationship and create a sexual script that our partner feels comfortable enough and excited enough uh, that they will be able to get out of that uh, state if through therapy and also through our relationships. Relational safety really is the the gold standard here. Whether we're talking about supporting a partner through a complicated relationship with their body or any other difficult thing that might happen in someone's life, that piece around creating safety with each other, I think, is something that so many couples want and strive for and really struggle with. But it's really key because, to your point, you cannot try to pump your partner up out of this emotional state. You can't change the relationship they have with their body and trying to throw solutions at a problem might actually inadvertently reinforce the idea that there is a problem, right? And so holding space is really about 
kind of building acceptance and I want to be with you and love you no matter what you look like um, and validating like, well, yeah, your body does look different. And here are the things that I appreciate about you and about your body, regardless of how it looks and creating a space to be in process with your partner so that they don't feel or there's less likelihood that they will feel judged or um, like your appreciation of them is conditional. Absolutely. And I, you, you brought up such a great point with validation piece, like uh, not trying to uh, kind of like say things that's, that you don't feel it's true. And also being authentic when you're giving feedback. I think that's that is very powerful. It is. It is. It creates it creates a shared reality, which I think includes or improves relational safety. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk. You, you mentioned a little bit earlier about folks who are struggling with disordered eating patterns and maybe are struggling in their relationship with desire or in arousal. Let's break this down a little bit and talk more about the relationship between food related behaviors and uh, sexuality. Well, there, there's definitely a strong link that I see in many of my clients. And on a basic level, like when we're, as, as I shared with the listeners before, when we're in starvation mode, our uh, desire and arousal drops. Like there's a very well-known study that was done around World War II, and they noticed that then they were cutting back soldiers, like guys, men that were whole healthy. Like they assessed them, they had all sorts of uh, tests, assessment, and those people were people who had a physiological and psychological healthy profile. But when they put them on a restricted diet, they started after a few months showing low desire, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. So part of uh, like our lifestyle is definitely contributes to our experiences with desire and arousal. Uh, and also the if we have certain stories in our mind about how attractive we are, that can create anxiety in our body, right? So we can struggle with erectile functioning or erectile unpredictability when we feel insecure about our bodies or we feel anxious. Maybe uh, arousal could be difficult and also uh, climaxing could be difficult because you're, first of all, could be distracted in the moment or feeling anxious in your body. Because as we talked about a few minutes ago, feeling safe in your body is so, so uh, important. Or even my clients that they engage in binging and purging behaviors. And uh, purging could be self-induced vomiting, using different pills and stuff. And there is a component of it that they feel shame about it when they engage in the behavior. And for majority of people, shame and um, desire and uh, erotic energy doesn't go together. So when you feel shame, you feel small and you don't want to engage. And sometimes when we don't, haven't talked about it with our partner, because we're feeling shameful, some of these patterns could be uh, kind of long-standing pattern. Our partner might feel that uh, we're uh, withdrawing from them. We're not attracted to them, and that can add another level of complexity into uh, people's experiences. Or even with binge eating challenges, um, in a majority, there's a big part of the population struggle with binge eating disorders, and we have a large male population that is struggling with it. And when you're feeling out of control, when you're binging, like at a true binge, that can get afterward combined with feeling of shame and feeling of defective. And that 
that gets in the way of people feeling sexy and excited about connecting with their partners. It, it does. It's, it, I think it's a really commonly overlooked um, dilemma that partners run into, but very commonly experienced because one of the things that we do with partners often is share meals. So there can be some, sometimes partners can experience uh, communication through how they are engaging in food together and how they're engaging in sex together. And I'm sure you've probably seen this um, in your work, but I, I sometimes see couples who are struggling with intimacy, struggling to feel safe with each other, struggling to feel seen and valued with one another, uh, engage in more um, compulsive eating together as a way to kind of unconsciously take sex off the table because they will not feel good in their bodies and maybe use the food as a coping strategy um, also as a shared experience that's safe enough, but not super intimate emotionally. So then they can, you know, again, unconsciously collude to avoid sexual intimacy as a way to kind of protect themselves from feeling super vulnerable. And when couples start to repair ruptures and move through difficult stuck points, then they might notice a shift in the way they share food together and they might be um, eating with a, a different intentionality or mindfulness that allows them to feel better in their bodies and more open to intimacy. I wonder, do you experience that too? And if so, how do you encourage couples to kind of break that cycle? Well, I, I see a lot of couples that their relationship even change after recovery, right? Like if the, one of the partner, they're kind of have a history of anorexia nervosa, they've been restricted. Usually what we see with clients who are struggling with anorexia uh, nervosa, they're not sexually engaged as much. So they, they learn to have a separate life like separate food, separate meal, or kind of like maybe the partner sometimes engage in the, the client's engagement, uh, masturbation or even not because of the low desire. And then as we're incorporating recovery, more balanced eating, then the sexual context of the relationship can change, right? Because when we're leaning into pleasure uh, and we're exploring the relationship with pleasure, that can help us to uh, kind of notice if there are challenges or issues. So it could be both, as you mentioned, like maybe we have sexual challenges in the relationship uh, or like we have sexual uh, kind of issues. Again, it happens to everyone at times and we feel stuck. We don't know how to address it. Maybe we cope with food or maybe we kind of use food as a form of avoidance to address the issue with our partner. And uh, that kind of gets in the way of people addressing the uh, underlying uh, challenges. I love when people share meals and they're very intentional. I think similar mm -hmm. to sex, when you are having meal, my invitation for people is like to, as, as much as possible, not watch TV, not be on your phone, being fully present. And that helps with you to kind of notice your hunger cue and fullness. And the same with sex, right? Mm -hmm. If you're really present, if you're feeling grounded, you can notice if there's a desire there, it's not there, or if your partner's doing something that they build up as arousal or not, and you'll be more attuned to the cues, whether you're doing it outside the bedroom or inside the bedroom. How can couples start to build that practice with one another, especially if it's been uh, a practice that's been challenging for them to cultivate on their own and they're early in the process? Uh, are we talking about food or sex or both? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I know when we are disconnected sexually, people sometimes they avoid each other, like they even mm-hmm. avoid physical touch and they become, in a way, strangers. I tell people to build a, some uh, mini ritual of connections in your schedule. It could be like every day over breakfast, uh, we kind of like sit together, look at outside, or we have, we do a check-in about our emotions, what was the toughest things, best thing from the day before. It's important to not do it as a to-do list, right? What we're doing is just really sharing uh, our experience and getting curious about our partner's experience because uh, when we're truly connecting, that can help with sexual connection. In the bedroom, I think I, my invitation for people, they've been disconnected for uh, for a while, is to kind of slowly bring back touch that feels uh, positive, like bring back sensuality in the relationship. We're touching, and it, it could be even non-sexual massages. It could be cuddling. Kind of so, bring, so you can bring back more of a, a ritual of uh, a sensual connection with your partner. And I think what can go a long way is kind of talk about have what I call sexy happy hour. It could be once a week, <laughs> once a month. So outside the bedroom, you are creating this nice environment, like an erotically charged environment, but you're not engaging in uh, any sexual interaction. You're showing up like naked or with uh, with lingerie or whatever makes you feel sexy. And you're talking about your sex life, maybe starting with what have worked for us in the past. What was it about when we meet each other that was sexy? What are we curious about to explore? So I think that starting from the positive and then as you build more connection and uh, a ritual of sensuality, then maybe you can talk more about what can make your sexual experiences more pleasurable. I love that sexy happy hour. I'm going to institute that in my relationship. That sounds really fun. <laughs> um, well, so, so back to... Um, Back to body image, right? What are some practical ways that someone can start to reshape their relationship with their image? And you mentioned, you know, getting lingerie or something like that um, during uh, sexy happy hour. But what are some practices somebody can do on their own to start to really lean into an intentional shifting of that mindset? I think one of the things that has worked for many of my clients is incorporating movement back in their life and joyous movement right so sometimes people say like i know i exercise i run but i hate running or Mm -hmm. i take yoga class and i'm bored all the time what i want to do especially if you're someone that's anxious maybe doing something before like if possible having sex with your partner that feels joyous it could be dancing for you it could be uh like some people like like more of a self-defense things like uh boxing whatever helps you to feel good in your skin i think that is really really important uh, that's one element for for individuals that they feel very um, kind of anxious uh, during or um, before sex, I tell them to do kind of like different tantric practices, could be eye gazing, synchronized breathing, that can help you to kind of like get oriented to the sexual Mm -hmm. context because sometimes when we are so, our mind is so busy every day, it's really hard to pivot if we want to be intimate with our partner. So 
bringing some, creating some uh, transitional rituals. Like it can be powerful and helpful. Um, the other thing I recommend people to do is to talk to their partner about it. If they feel, again, kind of going back to relational safety, that this is what I'm experiencing. And ask them if you want them to listen to you or you need for practice, looking for practical solution so you feel more connected about that when, when that happens. And I think one, one other thing is like really assessing if I have an eating disorder or it's a disorder eating patterns. Because sometimes, like for example, with some of the eating disorders, it, there is a strong genetic component to it and you need help. It's not like you're defective, you're not capable. Uh, with some of the eating disorders, the same way if you have, I don't know, get cancer, you need chemo. With certain kind of eating disorder, you need the uh, multidisciplinary uh, help that you can get from uh, working with the eating disorder therapist, whether it's helping with getting help from a dietitian, physician, and your psychologist or therapist that can help you to get out of that pattern instead of kind of like staying and feeling shame about it. And I think kind of like there is something powerful about kind of noticing what you like. What's your kind of what makes you excited in the bedroom? And there's no right or wrong um, answer about it. And you can start with kind of like exploring your own body with masturbation, using different toys to really intimately get to know what sensation feels good for you and what doesn't. So you can communicate that with your partner because sometimes we're disengaged because what's happening in the moment with our partner is not exciting and we really don't know ourselves. So we don't know what, what we can help our partner to do so we can get back in the moment. Love that. I love that so much. Well, thank you. This was wonderful and so insightful. Um, where can folks find you if they want to work with you or learn more about the work that you're doing? Well, thank you so much for this uh, opportunity. Uh, people can check out my website, sexologypodcast.com, or my handle on Instagram is at sexologypodcast. And I'll make sure that I'm getting back to everyone who contacts me, whether DMing me or emailing us. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Everyone has questions and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.